we're doing this. We're doing this series called Prepare uh, because we're getting ready for a lot of exciting, uh, not just changes, but progress in the church. Uh, next Sunday is going to be our last one service Sunday, and it's going to be amazing because we're going to dedicate babies. So if you have a baby that you want to be dedicated, I think all the new babies are going to be dedicated next uh, next week, and we're real excited about that. We're also, Sarah, right, going to have a potluck after church, right? So people bring food, right, and, and bring food and bring food to share, and uh, we'll have a great time. Anything else need to be said about that or just that? All right, we got it. Okay. So last week I talked about prepare for growth, but today I want to talk about a, a different kind of growth, and I think it's a really, really important kind of growth. I'm, I'm calling the message Prepare for Progress. Um, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, it should show up on the screen here. And this is Jesus talking, and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk and then the head and then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. That's Mark 4, 6, uh, 26 through 29. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, Uh, This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. These are fascinating passages about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God that is progressing. I, I didn't read anything in these passages about marketing or slick campaigns to make the church grow. It's a very natural process of watering and and um, planting, and, and all by itself, we don't really know how it happens, and we've got some people that are budding farmers in our church, and uh, I know that uh, Gayla and Brian have had just a lot of fun with their garden this year, and, and I think last year they kind of tried it, and they planted, and they kind of stopped at that, and you know, not so. But this year, they really kind of got into it, and they they planted it and got the soil just right, and they've been bringing goodies to church. You know, so you know, out in the foyer, different Sundays, there's been there's been vegetables out there that uh, people have been bringing in from their that they brought in from their harvest, and it's exciting to be in that process because you plant it and you and you get the ground ready, but but somehow at night while you're sleeping, there's just something that's happening in that ground and it's developing and it's progressing and we don't know really how it happens. And I'm really talking about today about growing, not just growing out or growing larger. I'm talking about growing up. I'm, I'm talking about maturing I'm talking about a process that happens in us where we're not just getting older, but that we're, that we're becoming more mature. We're living in an age when people are living very long lives. But I don't think that our level of maturity is keeping up with our level of length of life. 
And, and so I, I think, and I don't want to sound like an old fogey this morning, but I do think that we're living in a time where I'm wondering, and, and if I could just be real with you this morning, when I watch politicians, and this is not a political statement because it's both parties, it's me, you, do you ever wonder to yourself, where are the adults in the room? Is there anybody that has not just gotten older, but that have actually grown up? Is there a maturing process? You know, the idea is that as we grow older, we should be getting wiser, that we should be going through some processes in our lives where maturity is taking place. We even have a saying now in our culture about young people who who can't make the leap from college to career, and there's this phrase called what? Failure to launch. Failure to launch. We're, we're in a culture where there's this failure to sort of go through the paces of life. Where we, where we go from immaturity to maturity. And so we look at the, at the news and we say, are these really the best of us? And I know that there's good politicians. But, but in general, and then you watch them. I don't know about the rest of you. I don't even know where to watch the news anymore. I just wonder, is there anybody that's just grown up that can actually just give a newscast? Is there, are there any adults in the room? And, and so what I'm really talking about this morning is could we have a church that's not just interested in being slick and being as large as we can, but there's actually a process by which people are growing up and growing and becoming more spiritually mature, going from Chu Ming, who doesn't even know what a Christian really is or what it means, to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, to asking questions and, and becoming a Christian and getting baptized. But, but Chu Ming, I would say to you and to everyone else here, that's only the beginning. That's only the beginning because the rest of our lives is about walking that out and growing up and becoming mature in the faith. The great poet Maya Angelou said, I am convinced that most people do not grow up. We marry and dare to have children and call that growing up. I think what we do is mostly growing old. We carry accumulation of years in our bodies and on our faces but generally, our real selves, the children inside, are innocent and shy as magnolias. Stephen King said, do men grow up or do they merely come of age? Relating this to our church, our goal should not just be numerical growth. If you're taking notes in your, in your worship guide today, this is one of the first fill-ins. Our goal should be church health, not church growth. Our goal at the church is should not just be to have a church that we can just brag about how large we are and how many people came on a particular Sunday, but is it a healthy church where you are able to go through the paces, if you will, and, 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 and go from being somebody who is far from God and on that journey toward becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. The, the question of a church should be not how many people have gotten saved, but how many people are becoming disciples. 
The call of Jesus was to go and not make converts, but was to go and make disciples. I don't talk a lot about my education, um, but I was blessed to go to some of the great schools, Christian schools, uh, in our country. I went to Wheaton College, which was a a great school near uh, Chicago, Illinois, kind of famous for a couple of our graduates. Billy Graham graduated from Wheaton College, uh, uh, Nate Saint, the, 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 the guy from South America that was killed by the Aka Indians, those, those guys that were killed in that were, were Wheaton College students. So I went there for my, my degree in biblical studies. Uh, but then when I wanted, for my doctorate, I wanted to go to a school that was, that was uh, also uh, well-renowned in, in evangelical circles. And so I went to a place called Fuller Theological Seminary. And Fuller was kind of known uh, for... Um, a, a particular class that happened at Fuller back in the 1970s, I believe. It was just kind of a, an evangelical um, um, seminary. And then these two professors by the name of John Wimber and Peter Wagner uh, decided to have a class called Miracle Signs and Wonders. Uh, and so they were talking about the miracles of Jesus and all that. And then they asked some dangerous questions. They were asking, do miracles still happen? And uh, so added to that class, they, they had a lab. And so after they would do the lectures, they would have a lab. And people started coming to the lab class, and they would be prayed for, and miracles started happening in this class. Well, it really uh, ticked off some of the funders of that, of that seminary, and uh, they actually fired those professors. And, uh, and uh, John Wimber went off to start a, a denomination some of you have heard of called the Vineyard. Uh, today that that started as a result of that peter wagner started what was called the church growth movement and so i um i came to the seminary maybe 10 years after all of that but but by the time i got to the seminary they were beginning to question some of the principles of the church growth movement because what they were noticing is that church growth, if you, if you practice the principles of church growth, it works. There are certain things that you can do. There are ways to market. There are ways to, to lead your church that will cause it to grow. But what they noticed was you can be a large church and also an unhealthy church. And so... As they began studying that, they found that there were a lot of people that were going to large churches just so they could hide. Because at a large church, the entertainment was better. It was like going to a concert. You know, you could go, get a good seat, enjoy it, and, and never, never, um, never hand out bulletins, never sing in the choir, never do anything, and just go to that church and really just become a pew potato. You know what I'm talking about? Like a couch potato? You could do that. And so Fuller said they shifted their thinking from church growth to church health. And there was a study that was done, and I'm going to get a little, I'm going to get a little technical. Some of you academic people will like this sermon. Some of you will be ready when I get on to something not so academic. But I want to share with you a study that was done. Go to the next slide, if you will. This, a thousand churches were studied in 32 countries, on six continents, and 18 languages. And they said, across the world, are there certain characteristics that it doesn't matter whether you're in Japan or China or the United States or South America, 
What would be in common in those churches that would make those churches healthy churches? And they came up with eight quality characteristics of healthy churches. And so let's go to that next slide. In healthy churches, every church, by the way, if you look at the white word after the yellow word, every church has some form of leadership, ministry, spirituality, structures, worship service, usually small groups, evangelism, and relationships. But in healthy churches, the adjective is the important word. Leadership needs to be empowering leadership. And what that means is you don't have a pastor that's the big boss and it's my way or the highway. And if the pastor doesn't, you know, the the pastor just sort of is like the king of the church or whatever, that's an unhealthy church situation. In a healthier church situation, the leadership is empowering. You're giving your power away. You're letting other people lead. You're raising up other leaders. Uh, The next is gift-based ministry. What that means is, I'll say it this way, gift-based versus guilt-based. A lot of churches do ministry based on guilt. In other words, we really need some workers in the nursery, and if you love Jesus, if you love your mother, you'll sign up to work in the nursery. That's guilt-based ministry. Well, you might have somebody back there that hates babies, you know? That's not what you want. So gift-based ministry means you find out what people's spiritual gifts are, And you actually try to match them so that the people that are welcoming people are the people that actually like people. And if you count the offering, you don't even have to like people. There are some people, you know what I'm saying, there are some people you just don't want to expose them to the general public. But there's there's different ministries in the church. How about having singers that can actually... Sing. I mean, I I heard a a, a dumb Christian song one day called Please Let Me Sing in the Choir. It's about a guy who was tone deaf and they wouldn't let him sing in the choir and it's all about how heaven he got to sing in the choir. I'm sorry, I think in heaven God's going to give him a job beside the choir, all right? If you can't sing, God's into gift-based ministry. And then effective structures. In healthy churches, they ask themselves dangerous questions like, why are we doing it this way? Just because we've always done it that way? Did you know that the last six words of a dying church are, we've always done it that way? That's the last six words of a church that's dying. We've always done it that way. But in a healthy church, you're always willing to say, why are we doing it this way? Is there a better way? Could we structure ourselves in a way that would be more effective? So effective structures. Inspiring worship services. Not just are you having worship services. Is it boring? Is it fun to go to church? Are you saying with David, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Unlike that usher who said to my mother how boring I was. That's good. Holistic small groups. Holistic small groups. Are you offering small groups that actually are getting people into deep relationships with one another. Need-oriented evangelism. Are you doing outreach in your community and meeting the needs of your city? Would Knoxville miss us if we were gone? Loving relationships. Are there relationships that are loving uh, within the church? And so go to the next slide, if you will. There's actually a, there's actually a, 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 a test you can take in the church. 
that rates a church on each of these eight quality characteristics to see how you're doing. And we've actually done that three times at Life Church. I'm going to share that with you. But this is a great analogy of a, of a barrel with staves on it. If you think of the, the staves as those eight things, empowering leadership, inspiring worship, effective structures, where is the water going to start leaking out of that barrel, somebody? Where the hole is and where's the hole? It's whatever your lowest in, right? Whatever your lowest area, whatever that lowest stave is, is where you are going to start leaking water. And so what a church should do is look at those eight characteristics and say, where are we the weakest in? And begin addressing that because as you address that, the church will continue to grow. But the goal is not for the church to grow. The the goal is to get the church healthy and healthy churches grow. But growth is not the goal. Growth is the byproduct. Byproduct. The goal is health. We want to be healthy. We want to be more loving. We want our structures to be more effective. We want all of these things uh, uh, to, to, to be better so that we can be healthier. So I want to show you the next slide, which is kind of interesting. Um, this is the, uh, the, the survey results. Go back. This is from, this is so old that uh, it's black and black and white. Uh, but in 2012, we took this and I want to point out a couple things. On these eight characteristics, if you get 50%, it means of the, a thousand, of, of the thousands now of churches, now it's hundreds of thousands of churches who have taken this, if you're at 50, you, it means you're right at the median level of what all the churches in the world that have taken this are at. So if you're 50, you're, you're right about where, where the average is, and then obviously below. But there's kind of an interesting rule in this, and that is any church around the world that got a 65 or better in all eight of these characteristics, if you could score a 65 or better in every characteristics without exception, that was a growing church. Now, there's churches that are growing that don't meet that that characteristic. But if you got 65 and everything, without exception. So when we took ours in empowering leadership, this was when I first came in 2012, we were at 50% in empowering leadership. Gift-based ministry, we were below average. Passionate spirituality, we were a, a praying church. 68, very good. Effective structures was our lowest. It was called our minimum factor. That's where the water was leaking. Uh, when we when we first came to the church, effective structures, inspiring worship service, and, and you can see across the board. What I wanted to point out, though, was that our average across all eight was 53. Now go to the next slide. This was taken in 2014, and this was uh, this is kind of where we 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 came to uh, at that time. And you can see effective structures had gone from 37 to 55, uh, but our minimum factor in in 2014 was inspiring worship services. And so we began to address that. We started working on our worship service to try to make it more inspiring. They said, Phil's about as good as he's going to get. We can't do anything with that. You can't fix stupid. So we brought Emily. <laughs> right, there you go. Just kidding. Uh, anyway, so, so we've, worked a lot on, uh, we've worked a lot on inspiring worship services. Uh, and our average from 2000 and. Uh, 12 to 2014 jumped up to 60. So that's pretty good. And then we just took one again this summer. Go to the one that we took this summer. Um, and uh, you can see where it came this summer. Empowering leadership was 75. Um, effective structures was now at 63. 
uh, and we looked, there was a couple that we were the smallest in, passionate spirituality and uh, holistic small groups. And we decided as a group of, of leaders that we were going to take on, because you, you, you take on one of them, and when you take on one of them, it positively affects all of them. And we decided to take on holistic small groups, and, and, and we want to vastly improve that area of our ministry. So here's a couple uh, fill-in-the-blanks that d- just... Uh, takeaways from from what I just showed you. In 2012, our average was 53. In 2014, it was 60. In 2017, it was 65. I'm really encouraged about that because we're getting really close to that number where on everything, we're getting close to 65. We haven't, we're not 65 on everything yet. But, uh, and one of the things that we are seeing is that the church is growing. And, and, And what I think you can say is, we haven't been trying to grow. I don't mean we've been trying not to grow, but we didn't do any growth campaigns or you know, send out flyers to 5,000 people and all that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think you should do that from time to time. But just by working on getting healthier, it's interesting that the church has begun uh, to grow. So that's real exciting. Um, effective structures, which was our smallest in... I just wanted to point that out, has, has improved from 37 to 63 in 2017. Inspiring worship has improved from 53 in 2014 to 65. And our minimizing factor right now is holistic small groups. And so I'm saying this because I want to talk to you about, about something I'm real excited that we're preparing for, and that is our small group season that's coming up. And I just have to say something right at the outset of small groups. If you look at small groups as just a way of assimilating new people into the church and having something to do on Wednesday night, they are never going to be effective and they're never going to accomplish what they need to accomplish. The, the word, the key word there is holistic small groups. And, and so I've tried to wrap my brain ar- around what that is. But here's what holistic small groups do. Holistic small groups, as you're taking notes, move upward. That means that in every group that meets, there needs to be something spiritual that causes you to look up like you did with your eclipse glasses uh, the other day when you were looking at the eclipse. There ought to be something that's making us look to God. Time of prayer, opening of scripture, something that's happening that causes us to look upward. But not only should we be looking upward, we should be looking inward. What does that mean? We make no bones about this. And, uh, and, and Tom's our, our, our small group's pastor. Our number one reason for having small groups is so that you can have a place to make connections in this church, a place to have friends. It's important that you're not just looking upward, but that you're looking inward, that, that we all have relational needs, and we need to develop relationships, and we need to develop relationships with other believers and people that are on the journey with us. And then we need to be looking outward. I think one of the things that makes a group a holistic group is that sometime the group is looking outside of itself and saying, what can we do to serve or serve in our community or serve in our church or serve in, in Knoxville? So the group is looking outward. In fact, I have a dream that this, uh, 
this outreach that we did last year where we did the sodas and we gave them away. It was really cool. It was a church-wide thing. Next year when we do that, my dream is that we would do one for each group. So one group might be doing sodas. One group might be out uh, raking leaves. One group might be uh, serving homeless people. But that we would do that within our groups. And so that group is looking uh, outward. And then our group is looking forward. And what I mean by that is our groups are constantly, groups are a place where you can begin advancing in your spiritual walk. In fact, we think spiritual spiritual growth happens best in the context of small groups. And so we might, if you're in my group, I'll just warn you, there's going to be one Sunday where I say, hey, Mary, would you do the icebreaker this week? Hey, so-and-so, will you bring snacks? Hey, so-and-so, would you lead our discussion question? I'll give you the questions, but we're going to, it's, going to be, uh, it's going to be sort of a laboratory where you can, you can begin advancing and start working on your leadership needs. And our goal is that people within those groups will eventually rise up and begin their own groups. Now, don't shout me down this morning. I know you're excited. I can feel the energy in this room. It's overwhelming. And so, and so it's a place to grow. Small groups are a place to connect, a place to protect, and a place to grow. At Life Church, we hold our small groups in three semesters. One thing that I love about our small group structure here at the church is we don't stick you in a group and make you feel like you've got to be there forever. In fact, if you go to a group for two weeks and you say it's not for me, that's fine. Go find another group. We call them free market small groups. Uh, and so what we're asking for is a 12-week commitment. We're, we're going to do our small groups from September 10th through December 3rd, th- those 12 weeks there. Um, and then after those 12 weeks, you're going to have a nice long break for a couple months through Christmas. And then in January, we'll do our 21 days of prayer. And at the end of January, beginning of February, we'll start our next semester of small groups. We do that so hosts don't get burnt out. We just want you to, on, on about a 12-week basis, to get to know some people and to, uh, and to just commit to making some friends during that time. Life church groups are free market. What we mean by that, we're not all studying the same thing. Um, I think, is this true, Emily? Are you going to do this? Emily's going to do a CrossFit small group. Yeah. So you can actually do a small group uh, where, where you're doing CrossFit, you know, and you get spiritual credit for it. That's awesome. There's going to be all kinds of small groups. Some of them are going to be more traditional Bible studies. I'm going to lead a prayer group on, uh, on um, uh, Saturday mornings uh, just for one hour. And we're going to come here just like we did during the 21 days of prayer. And we're going to pray for the Sunday services. Not only is that going to help our small groups, but that's going to help passionate spirituality. Our goal is not to just become larger, but it's to become more healthy. And I think prayer is important. And so... And so uh, on Saturday morning, 8 to 9, if you're free and you want to be a part of a small group, I'll just invite you to mine. And I've got the pulpit, so I can invite you. <laughs> so small group on, uh, and then right afterwards, I think is when Emily's, you can stay after for the CrossFit group, because she's starting right after that, right? So you can pray and then sweat. Mm. That's true. That's true. So what do I want us to do? I want us, A, to commit to a group for one semester. Two, to invest in your spiritual growth. Let me just tell you one other group that I'm leading. I'm going to call it Breakfast with Bros, all right? I want to I have breakfast with some guys once a week. 
Um, and, uh, I'm just, and that's going to be a discipleship group. We're going to go through a book called Discipleship Essentials. And uh, we're going to have breakfast together. And uh, you're going to have to get up at 7 in the morning. And don't tell me that's too early. Because what would Jesus do? Hmm. Yeah. I tried that on somebody yesterday, and they said, yeah, but he didn't have a car. And commit to a group for one semester. Two, invest in your spiritual growth. Three, just make a friend. Make it a goal. This, make it a goal this 12 weeks. Just make a new friend. Make a new friend in this church. And then the last one, just have fun. Just have a great time. So I think, uh, Tom, we're going to have some sign-ups, right, after... After church, out in the out in the lobby, and you can sign up for your small groups. Uh, it's not starting this week. It's not starting the next week, but the following week, right? So, so, yep, whatever he said. Uh, so that so that's what I want us to do, and and I know in a way this has been sort of an academic kind of a kind of a message this morning, but I wanted you to see how seriously we're taking being healthy as a church. Um, and then, and then, the scripture that we read at the very beginning just said, "All by itself, while we're sleeping and while we're awake, while we're, while we're just trying to, you know what I think God does? I think God just says, you know, I'd really like Chu Ming to go to a church like that, and uh, and so He works it out and works out the GPS so that I pick her up in my car." I'd like for I'd like for people to to go to a church like that. People are looking for a place. I, I want to kind of end where I started. I just want to be a church where you can grow up. I, you know, watching Judy. I, I haven't said anything about Judy today. Judy just continues to. Um, how do I say it? Her disease is is progressing as as normal. But her sweetness and her amazing um, maturity and her Christianity is shining like a stars in the night. It's it's unbelievable just when you're with Judy. My son Noah, those some of you don't know, he's he's going through a tough time right now. You know, he didn't call his dad, he called Judy. He called Judy the other day and said, Judy, would you pray for me? That's 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 a bl- and, and Judy just can't quit talking about it. Judy prayed for him, talked to him, just just told him how special he was to her and all that kind of stuff. So she does that, and then a neighbor walks by to water her flowers, and they come in, and Judy just starts blessing them and all that. You know, I want to be like Judy. By the way, just a little heads up, we're thinking about changing the name of the church. It's going to help with donations. We're going to call it St. Jude's. We've got a a big golf tournament coming up. (laughs) Make your check. Sorry. Anyway, that's a tender one for me because... uh, Wow. Can I just close by reading you a passage of Scripture? I'm freestyling now. My wife says I'm dangerous when I go off notes. But uh, Emily, your worship team, whoever's coming, somebody come. 
Help me. I was sitting in Judy's house the other day. And Judy's, all Judy's talking about now is heaven. She's more in touch with what's going on out there than she is here. You can call her back and she can talk to you and have normal conversations. But when she's just kind of drifting off, she's talking about Morris and her parents. I was over there the other day and she was helping Morris prepare for his sermon this Sunday. I said, Judy, I got him covered this week. I'm preaching for Morris. She's talking about, she, she went into her closet the other day to pick out clothes that she wanted to meet Jesus in. And she said it with just such joy. There's people that are facing death with such terror today. But for a mature Christian, we know that beautiful in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. First Corinthians 5 says, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not handmade. We'll never have to relocate our tents again, Chuming. You'll never have to move again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration. And there's times when Judy right now is groaning out in frustration. But compared to what's coming, living conditions around here, listen to this. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing. Our true home. Our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetites by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. This morning... God invites you